Mr. Spock, have you ever seen such fascinating creatures like these? Captain, might I remind you that in a first contact situation with new life forms, one must show less emotional response and a bit more logic? And might I add in your case, a pinch more self-control? But these neeks appear harmless, friendly, and perfectly... Captain, might I assume you're ready for a new shirt? Again? And a pair of pants, please. Good morning, students. Welcome to school. Remember, the thought of the day is... Well, the fun is, so it was interesting to see all these things form and what came out of one man's dream. Welcome to Ecology 101, the study of the nerd geek in their natural habitat. I'm Gary, and we are the Knights of Say Neek. Well, <clears throat> got another solo one here today, but um, kind of fun. So, something I want to share. Um, one of the things that we do periodically is we'll review some books. And uh, if you want to check out the list of some of the books that we have uh, uh, gotten to review, you can check out my um, uh, Gary Vance. Uh, at uh, Goodreads, you can find me there or Open Press. So um, it's you know, a lot of fun, a lot of great books out there. And one of the ones that Aaron, actually our intern, kind of turned me on to was uh, a book by about George Lucas. It's called George Lucas and the Digital Revolution, called The Droid Maker by Michael Rubin. Um, that it was a really interesting book because a lot of things happened um, around this time. You know, the '60s, '70s, '80s, right into the '90s when it came to filmmaking and in the world of George Lucas and a lot of things that came out of it. When I started reading this book, I thought, you know, this is really interesting and it reminded me more of a textbook. And actually, if you look at it, it's a pretty good sized book. I think it was. I think it was a textbook on uh, digital animation and filmmaking. So I really, um, I really enjoyed the book. It was a different read. I'm usually used to reading fiction books and things like that. Uh, so this is good. This is a good informational one, um, good nonfiction book, but you know, uh, tie-in was George Lucas, because, you know, I've always heard about things that he's done, and that his dream was to make good films, but also all the things that kind of went around it. Uh, a lot like, um, I believe, that's where um, Edison and Tesla were different. Edison, he built his inventions, but then he built all the supplementary things that would connect with it. I know a few inventors would do that, right? Uh, and so he basically wanted to make a great film, but he also wanted to think of, well... You know, uh, one of the things in filmmaking was the sound quality was very poor when it came to making films, right? A lot of films just didn't. If you watched movies in the 60s and 70s, uh, you have battled a lot with really good sound. And that's where his THX sound came together, being able to put that into movie theater. So we'll talk about that too. But that's just one aspect. When you make a, if you want to make a film, sometimes all the infrastructure is not there to make it that much more the whole entire experience and I think that's what he was going for so uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of just go through this book a little bit um, see what I remember because <laughs> this is a big book I think it's like uh, for your readers for non-readers don't freak out it's, oh it's only a 500 page book it wasn't horribly bad um, but uh, it's definitely a middle range Harry Potter level book has that so you get the idea but so um, in the first part of this book one of the things we really learned about was you know, George Lucas, who he was, the kind of thing, his dreamer, which you've heard a lot about in a lot of specials for him, too. Um, and his thing, his his dream to be a filmmaker. And 
and I'm sure you've heard the story before, right? He wanted to get in a totally different industry, and filmmaking is what opened it for him. He met Francis Ford Coppola, which um, if their stories sort of parallel back and forth through this book, which is kind of fun, right? How they both took a different approach. One was an introvert, George. One was an extrovert, uh, Francis. And how they both approached filmmaking. They were visionaries, so they saw ahead. I totally understand that. That's I'm very future-minded my, as myself. And the thing about it is... Um, the uh, how it all started. Star Wars was just one piece of all the things that George Lucas did. It's almost like he really had that on mind, and then wanted to produce things around it that just would make it just the experience that people uh, do. And it's funny because I think um, we all talk about this as a writer. Is that there's two different kinds of writers. I mean, I don't know if this spills over to filmmaking. It could be, but uh, when it comes to writing, we always say. You know, you're either a Tolkien or a C.S. Lewis. Tolkien would write, and I've probably talked about this before, he'd write, you know, his his universe, right? His whole entire thing poured into it, making this Lord of the Rings, the language, all kinds of stuff that went with it, right? The characters, and, you know, it was so good, he didn't finish all his books because he spent so much time on it. His son actually did the Silmarillion and some of the books that are still being popped out, and his son's like 90 years old, right? Or you're a C.S. Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis can write a number of different things, can jump from different genres or whatever, but be able to write all kinds of different work. Uh, J.K. Rowling falls in this in the Tolkien route, and gosh, who else would find it? I'm trying to think of someone who's, who's done a bunch. I'm looking at my bookcase right now. Who can write in a different bunch of genres? Um, I really can't think of any right now. That's embarrassing. But the thing is, there are people... Well, I do that. I like to do that myself. I like to write different kinds of series. So there you go. Throw myself on the bus. Um, or above the bus, whatever. But uh, Francis Ford Coppola was more like the uh, C.S. Lewis in this case. And George Lucas is more like Tolkien, right? In that in that uh, aspect. So, um, and but one of the things they both had in common was they wanted filmmaking to be a better experience. And one of the things that they talked about was both of them knew the beauty of editing because you can film everything, which is wonderful, so great cameras and everything like that, but the editing process is where a film can really be made. So both of them had a different approach. They saw they saw it going into more digital and then being able to see um, uh, that process speed up. So they, they saw ahead into what could be, right? They begin to see the digital universe and they begin to see... Um, that they could move from uh, film to all digital with video. So that they're right in the middle of all of that, being able to see that transition. And do you think that was really easy for filmmakers? No, it's not, because this is how, how films have made forever. So being able to change that up, it is not an easy sell. So um, some of the things on here was the, the really neat thing <laughs> to remind you of this was, if you ever read the book Watership Down, if you ever have it, it's an interesting book. But it started off with one, literally with one rabbit's vision of seeing uh, the world that they lived in burned down. And he knew that they had escaped. And he told one person. And so, and believe after a while, they built a whole nation of this rabbit who, who worked different than everybody else. So it's interesting that these guys are in a lot of ways, when you're a visionary, not everybody gets it. They don't understand where you're going. It takes a long time. And you have to have the persistence of your vision to keep going. Um, and what I loved about this book was they begin to find people. They begin to find people who are really good in uh, computers, computer animation, or who are willing to try it out. Right, and be able to introduce things. Um, 
in this whole journey, uh, we, uh, oh, I got to tell you, oh, well, there you go. With some of the people that popped up in here too, um, his, um, uh, we found out John Lasseter, right? We know John Lasseter was a young guy. Really, this is later on the road because there's a lot of really creative people. Uh, Albie Smith who popped up in here. Uh, a lot of really neat filmmakers. And what they had in here was um, they would go through, I'm going to kind of flip through real quick, and start finding people, you know, finding people who really knew their business really well. And what's neat is they had their little bios in here. And they begin to tell you, as they grew uh, and they knew what they could and couldn't do, they began to find people. So it really started off with a small group of people. And then they began to... Uh, you know, looking at different people out there. Oh, here's a here's a fun one. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna see if I have some of the people in this in this photo here. Uh, oh no, it's not the people I'm looking for. But um, you know, often it was um, a few guys working, uh, trying to get trying to make George's dream happen. And then oh yeah, Alvy Ray Smith, um, Ed Morell, I think it was, uh, who just. These guys, um, he also knew that there was things he couldn't do. He needed to call on help and be able to have his dream come true. Or, you know, and actually everybody's dream come true, right? To be able to see Star Wars come together uh, and, and you know, other other aspects of it. But so the thing about it was he began to pull in different people and then his people began to realize, oh, we need more help. And they just, you know, they're putting their feelers out. Colleges, um, different corporations, different businesses working into the tech field, into um, computer animation, into uh, the military, right? And just be able to looking for people with talent. I think that was, was really interesting. They're finding people with talent. Hey, would you be able to try this, right? People who are the best in what they did. And between um, uh, American Zoetrope, which is uh, Coppola's company, and Lucasfilm, it was funny just the vying back and forth they had between getting different people to work for them. And, and the reputation they built, right? That these guys were head cutting edge. They were doing things other people didn't do. And what's fun is, you know, to see their struggles. I mean, it's not that struggles are fun, but to realize this stuff didn't happen like it didn't happen right away, right? Uh, they got into being able to design video games, be able to do sound, being able to start uh, the Pixar computer, which, it, well, obviously you know where that led to, right? To Pixar itself. And talking about how when it grew and how that broke off. And John Lasser was a part of that. He was just a guy who was really interested in what they were doing. And it's how he became, that, you know, working with that too. And how you got Steve Jobs in there that was willing to fund it. So it was interesting to see all these things form and what came out of one man's dream. I thought that was really, really pretty cool. I remember too, a couple things in here was one of the first animated features that Pixar put out was... Um, was uh, uh, um, Andre and the Bee, I think that's what it's called. And I remember seeing that in college, that first little computer animated uh, thing, and they're talking about using those Cray computers, which is a government computer. And, you know, those things run pretty fast. They took them like 10 of them just to generate that, oh my gosh, it was not even like 10 seconds of footage. But, and how that was a big deal, because people had never seen 3D animation, and where it went from there. And then we look at it today, and you're looking at things like Avatar and Pixar movies and the difference between um, uh, uh, The um, Incredibles, number one, number two. Huge jump. And it's crazy to think 
where it came from. And I was looking through, looking at um, one of the computers that they invented, or the editing machine, was called the EdDroid. And the idea was, they always joked around, it looked like something off the Death Star. But the idea was to make it, uh, start selling these things where people can edit. And so they they knew, you know, making films was one thing. I got things going. But also making all the equipment, the editing equipment, um, the sound equipment, the THX. And if you know anything about that, we're so used to THX sound. That came from, of course, his first college movie, THX 1138, which shows up a lot of times. And in, in it's his little thing all through the Star Wars movies. THX, THX 1138 uh, was his character, but it shows up in all his, you know, you'll see it through Star Wars. But when they actually came in and redid computer, redid uh, movie theaters to get a whole sound system. So it was really cool that they said, you know, we not only made a film, but you want to enjoy the entire experience. You know, the sound, how it's edited, how it's put together. Uh, the, the And then all these things just kind of grew. And then, of course, Pixar grew out of that too and be able to become its own thing. So it's really cool. You know, when you have, you have a dream and you have an idea for something that how many people aren't, how many people are just, it's part of their dream too. And I think that, and it had the highs and lows, the things that went great, things that didn't go great. Um, I think one of the companies, um, ILM was a part of that too, which I believe still is. Uh, but they, um, their Droids Works, I think it was their company Droids Work, and that kind of fizzled and it turned into something else. But they had different branches of Lucasfilm, how it developed. Um, I think, you know, I, uh, my friend DC, DC, I, this is the book I was telling you about. I'll have to send this episode, but great stuff. Oh my gosh. And just some of the people that were instrumental in getting. Uh, this equipment going and you know you're talking about years of some of these things sticking with it trial and error you're looking at even this controller from the edroid in back then it was super sophisticated today we're looking going well it's pretty cool but it's all digital now right and some of the hardware and the things that they came over and they talked about you know different competing computers and editing software the montage out there but it was really good really interesting um uh, book. I really enjoyed it. Uh, again, it was a it was a, a good little heavy read. A lot of information thrown at you, um, but it it really got you to appreciate what we have now and have a better understanding of um, where things were. I mean, I I was I was looking at some of the Atari games and different things that came out of LucasArts and uh, where it was going, and you're like, oh my gosh, it has changed so much since then. And I think if you're younger and you grew up with, you know, there's the iPad right in your crib, right? <laughs> Some are millennials and Zoomers. It's really good to go back and see where things came from because I think you really appreciate what we have, where it's going. And you know what? You're going to, Lord willing, if we're still around, you're going to look back and go, man, I remember when computers weren't 3D and holographic and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's funny. So you kind of will be in our shoes right now because I've seen – for me, I was born in 1966, and John Pepe's going, yep, old man. Anyways, but I remember seeing the first um, Pong game, right? A little handheld game thing was all just simple stuff, and seeing how fast it's grown. And I just sit back the day looking at, oh my gosh, I realized when Laura and I first got married in the 90s, and cell phones were just a little, you know, nothing crazy, and how fast it's changed. So I think I think it was really good. Again, really good book. Uh and appreciating the things we have now. So if you get a chance to check it out, again, it's called The Droid Maker, George Lucas and the Digital Revolution by uh, Michael Rubin. 
So it's not a not a light read. It's got it's good good little you know summer study if you got a good book. But um, hey, there's my book recommendation recommendation. So go check it out. Hope you enjoy. And um, hey, so um, check it out. We're gonna be doing something different for the summer. So uh, you'll be hearing a couple episodes about that. So thanks so much for uh, letting me app at today. And um, I'm still Gary. And you know what? In this case, class is sort of extended. Go read a good book for the summer and let us know what you read. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Uh, Gary? Yeah. Why am I sitting in a hot tub? And holding bowls of cereal? Well, just an idea I had for a commercial for my upcoming book, Chronolosity Fistful of Crontons. Okay, explain. Well, my main character, Levy, invents a water-based time machine and is in a race against time to save his family. Hence, the hot tub. So it's just the hot tub time machine? It's not the hot tub time machine. Alright, alright. Hot tub makes sense, I guess. But what's up with the cereal? Well, when I was writing the book, you guys kept saying crontons sound like a breakfast cereal. <laughs> it does, actually. That's true. So we're eating bowls full of chronotons in the hot tub with two <laughs> That's the power of podcasting, Gary. Nobody can tell we're sitting in a hot tub eating a bowl of cereal. All right, all right. So let's, let's dry up and think of a decent commercial for Gary's book. Right. Hey, uh, don't know if you're out there writing a book or have an idea for a book, but I'll tell you what, one of the things I found out with putting together uh, books I've been working on, of course, my friend John Pepe, uh, that an editor is huge. Uh, it's like having a co-author, actually, someone to really invest in your work and really gets you, uh, ask you those tough questions and really gets your work ready for, well, maybe you're self-publishing or going to a, um, a traditional publisher. Uh, check out By the Hand Editing. Uh, Angie Martin, you've heard her on our show. She's actually one of our hosts now. Has that uh, online, which you can find on Facebook. Great. Uh, We've really enjoyed getting to use uh, their service. And I tell you what, um, we're going to keep coming back. Because they have really, they're great people. They do a great service. And it's a great price. So I would encourage you, if you haven't got a chance to uh, check them out, uh, buy the hand editing. That's Angie Martin. And they have some fantastic deals and prices for you that work with you and be able to help you get that book ready for wherever your journey takes you. So thank you so much for checking them out and tell them Unicology sent you. Thanks for listening to Neekology 101. If you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button and stay up to date with what's new in the fandom universe. You can find Neekology 101 on Spotify, YouTube, Podbean, or wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. We love to hear from our fans and your input helps make this show possible. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at God Among Geeks. Or you can contact us at necology101class at gmail.com. We know that you have a lot of fandom choices out there, so thanks for including us in your fandom universe. A little nonsense now.